Welcome to Brother to Brother Podcast. I'm Clay Stevenson. And I'm Brian Stevenson. And we're back for our bi-yearly uh, <laughs> podcast. Well, we actually talk more than twice a year, but right. maybe we should roll, mic, roll tape more often. Yeah. I mean, it's not really that hard to set this up. Maybe it's hard to, in our mind, it's, it's harder than it is. To make the high quality that we've done so far takes facts. Yeah, a lot of effort. (laughs) I've been reading for weeks. I've been prepping, researching, doing the studying. Yep. (laughs) Libraries are open in there. So you were interested in trying to do a podcast based off of that Facebook post that I posted about being a male lion in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. <laughs> what else are we so we're looking at what Sweet Sixteen this weekend. Sweet Sixteen starting tomorrow. It's not as many games. I really like the. It's fun having that like whatever when Tuesday through Monday or whatever it was last week with all the, yeah. the first round games. That's yeah. crazy. So I just like leave the TV on and you know kind of watch it whenever. It's fun to have that access. But yeah. what I was saying on Facebook is I like literally, so I'm sitting outside. The weather is so nice. I had my computer open outside. I was sitting on our screen porch and I had kicking my legs up and just watching games, just chilling out. You know, the kids are out playing. <laughs> and at some point during the day, it's like in the afternoon, I hear Angie hear like the vacuum cleaner go in, you know, I hear the dishwasher running and Angie's, uh, from a distance. Yeah. From oh, a distance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Angie says something like, um, I don't know. It was like, do you want a, a cheese egg toast or something? And I'm like, yeah, sounds great. You know, she like brings it out, you know, kicking back the legs up. And I'm like, what you been doing? She's like, well, I was cleaning the house, you know, did the dishes, you know, all the right. things. And I felt so lazy. You're like, ORU's looking good. I know. With your contribution to the discipline. Oh, it felt so lazy. That just prompted that Facebook post where it was like I was the male lion, you know, with a. So she brought you like your grilled cheese or whatever it was. Yeah. On a plate. Yeah. She's like totally like hooking me up with. You know? You're just sitting there. Hey, what are the kids doing? What are the kids doing this whole time? Kids were running around, playing, kind of taking care of themselves. I wasn't even, you know, really I supervising. Guess, I guess she probably fed the kids too. Yeah. She took care of everything. But it was that, it, like, there was that moment where I just felt completely lazy and useless. And, you know, when I really considered how much time I had just spent watching basketball consecutively, it was like hours on end. Right. You know? <laughs> but did she stay next to you with the sandwich and, like, feed it? Totally. <laughs> or did you maybe like, exert the effort to actually lift the sandwich to your own? I was like, would you mind slipping my shoes off while you're down there? <laughs> my neck. Sitting in this position is a little stiff. <laughs> rub that down a little bit. I mean, that, it, so so I'm I'm pretty high energy generally. So that it was a little bit, um, it was odd that I didn't spend that day like doing more work around the house or whatever. Um, and then normally she, you know, she works hard or whatever, but this was a little bit of an aberration too that she was spending as much time as she was doing work around the house. Right. So, but it, it did remind me of that kind of male lion scenario where the female lions go out and they do all the killing. And then the male lion who like gets all the glory. He saunter- doesn't even hunt is what we've discovered. He doesn't even hunt, just saunters over and, and scares them all off and feasts, you know? Right. It gets the choices. <laughs> <of> the- <laughs> 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 so, um, so lazy but then I, I loved how you followed up and you're like i know not what you speak of you know <laughs> yes, never <laughs> never happens actually it's like i'm probably do that more often than you do right and so then it's like it's so normal it's not even worth commenting on <laughs> like <laughs> we don't even notice it when it happens around here <laughs> well what is what is your main contribution to the family then is it just uh you know, earning earning money in your day job, or do you actually do like some regular things around the house? I think mating 
Yeah. <laughs> my real, my one sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, dishes. I do dishes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, now consistently. I'm not you... here to, to back me up, but yeah, I think, I think she would say that pretty consistently. Yeah, well, that's good. Yeah. I like to do that in the morning. So before work. Wow. Do the dishes. I'm impressed. Yeah. I, I randomly uh, do dishes, um, I guess, randomly and rarely. So, right. <laughs> but I'm I'm a clean. I like to clean up. I don't like a mess laying around. When when it's just really messy, I get I get kind of agitated. So I go around and start picking things up. Right. Maybe more so than anyone typically in the house. Yeah, and it does not. It doesn't. It bothers me when it gets like really bad. Right. But just normal clutter is not. I don't even see it. <laughs> that's that's what's frustrating to Leanne. <laughs> she you just walk by that, you know, yeah, the heap of clothes or whatever, or whatever it is. Like, what's stain? Talking about? <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah. It's like you're so on such different pages when it comes to that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that she, we were trying to teach the kids. She wants to teach the kids to see a need. And fill a need. So mm. to be, and not just around the house, but in life, see, notice when somebody needs help. Right. And then, so I think that I'm good if somebody asks me for help, that I'm willing to help people whenever they need it, but I'm not very good at actually on my own seeing that somebody could use some help. Yeah, so. I think that's huge. Um, I think in my life experience, less people are like that less people see a need and fill a need right. where does that catchphrase come from anyway is that something that y'all just came up with yeah it's a, uh, it's a homeschool family oh, okay homeschool family. i like it yes. she's yelling that at her kids all the time <laughs> <laughs> so is that one of those things though that they end up resenting later on in life and they're just like man i was never allowed to be selfish when i was a kid right <laughs> forget that helping people stuff i don't know what kid is that true of that they were never allowed to be selfish right well that's a good point childhood yeah it's like a non-stop ncaa tournament day (laughs) that's right dude that is so true yeah the but i feel like most people are so inward focused right so full of ego that they rarely see the need around them right and it's a when that rare you come across that rare individual that does see the need. Sometimes you don't even notice it because you're so right. inward focused on yourself. But when it does dawn on you that hey man, this person's really looking out for me, right? Uh, makes a real impact. What what about? <laughs> I just thought of another type of person: the person who sees too many needs. Yeah, is always like trying to help with everything. And you're, you're, you're like, there's not even a problem. This isn't even a problem. Why are you trying to fix it? Right. We've got a couple of friends like that too. And I'm like, well, no, it wasn't, you know, I'm talking about something around the house or with the family or with the wife. And it's always like, oh, you know what you should do? You should do this. Or I can come over and help you with that. I'd be like, no, thanks, man. I'm good. It bothers me. (laughs) (laughs) Because it bothers me because I feel like, that person is saying, I can't handle it myself. Ah. So I need help from somebody else to handle it. That's interesting. So like is that. it hard for you to accept when people offer their help with stuff? Yes. Yeah, I don't like it. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I don't mind asking for help, though. I'll ask for help. Yeah. If you need help. I need help. Right. Yeah, right. I actually maybe don't like help for a different reason. I don't like to inconvenience people. Uh, so a little bit more maybe in the way that Leanne probably is. Right. Um, when sometimes people helping you is a blessing to them, like they enjoy helping you. And so it's not an inconvenience. 100%. Yeah. And, they enjoy, and it's a good time. Right. It's a good time to get together and work on things together with folks. So, yeah, you, you actually do a disservice to your friendship and to that other person by not allowing them that opportunity to come help you out. 
Right. Yeah. So that that ends up being something that you think you're looking out for them, but actually you're being selfish. Right. Exactly. And, And honestly, it probably doesn't come from a great place either. Right. So if I'm concerned about inconveniencing you, maybe, well, well, maybe that's not a bad, that's coming from an okay place. But sometimes I also feel like I'm, I don't want to ask for help. And maybe this is what you're getting at because I want to, I want folks to realize like, oh, I got this. I can take care of this. Or I'm embarrassed because I really can't handle this hundred percent by myself or something. Yeah. Yeah. Lan knows this about me. And so something might come up like there's some little a leak or something and I'll, okay, I'll, I'll take care of it. And she'll say, oh, I'm calling Clay. We'll see what Clay thinks about it. I'm like, no, why would you do that? <laughs> He's like, I bet Clay could handle it. <laughs> yeah. Clay done already. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> well, tr- truthfully, man, we can all handle it now with YouTube. That's true. It's wild how much stuff I've just, you know, it takes me longer, but I just get on YouTube and figure it out, you know? Yep. But when when I see something on YouTube and the guy struggles a little bit with it and maybe it takes him like 20 minutes to 30 minutes, I might, I might second guess myself because I'm thinking it's going to double the amount of time for me to do it. Yeah. Worse. Yep. If it takes 20 minutes, sure, I'll take care of it. But yeah. yeah, much more than that. It's too much. Well, plus, I mean, you you get to the point in life where you you covet your time. Yes. And you don't want to be spending hours under the house. This is my I hate going under the house. Like it is the the thing I hate the most. I hate it the most. Yeah. So if we there's had- like we have some um the the hose bibs on both sides of the house are leaking and I know I can go fix it, but I don't want to do it. Right. So it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Yeah. Dad got used to going under the house was doing pest control stuff. Yeah. Just kind of became second nature, but yeah, I don't, I don't like it. You guys did a lot of work under your house, right? A lot. We spent hours under there when we had a leak. So uh, I was thinking about a story about dad helping people out and he was always willing to help people out. And uh, he had given the pink uh, Barbie mobile car to another, to a young guy and it broke down. And so I think he felt kind of obligated to help fix it. Right. And so he just kind of knew that it was broken down. He went over to their house to work on it and ended up having to knock on their door to get uh some help and he's like hey you guys got I know, like a pitcher of water or something and they're like what? what's what's going on and so dad looked over pointed over his shoulder at the car and the hood was up and the engine was on fire oh Literally no coming off of the oh, engine no. and smoke billowing and so he oh. needed a bucket of water to put the fire out <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> trying to help and uh what what I found out about that because I was like, what happened with that? Yeah, that that car never drove again. <laughs> they had to get it, had to get it towed. That's one of those situations where it's almost not even worth giving it away if it's in such bad shape. Because you feel obligated. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you feel bad. You feel badly about that. So I felt bad about my van when I sold it. I sold it for nine hundred bucks, but it was <laughs> two hundred twenty thousand miles. It was barely running. <laughs> Yeah, but man, in the grand scheme, 900 bucks is really cheap for a vehicle, so. Yeah, that's true. So, did you, was that one of the stories you've included in your book? Yeah. Oh, nice. Um, more about, uh, it's about helping out, just being uh, kind of what we just talked about. Like the willingness to look and see if something needs to be done or, and then how also when you do something like that, actually it was centered around when dad came over. Uh, and I had a box, uh, bought Jaron's crib. So Leanne was pregnant with Jaron, our first, and we had to get a crib set up. And so I bought it was just sitting in a box in the hallway and I didn't really know how to put it together. I'd never done anything like that before. And so I called dad and dad came over and we put the crib together, together, the two of us. And then I have a, that memory of doing that and talking about having kids and, you know, watching your kids being born and growing up and just all these amazing 
memories that are tied to that and how when you go to help somebody, it does create memories. It's not just about doing the good deed, but it's about forming relationships and community. And yeah. Yeah, it's huge. And when we just isolate ourselves and don't make that effort to help people, we lose out on that. Yeah. Man, so much, so much. Well, it's been honestly one of the toughest parts of, you know, the coronavirus pandemic yeah. is just not having those sorts of opportunities with each other. Yep. You know, there, I guess there's an argument that when society goes through something like this, you know, natural disaster or some kind of major catastrophe or calamity, there are opportunities to grow closer together. And so there were some of those, I think, over this past right. year. Uh, one of the neighbors in our neighborhood put together what they call the neighborhood core to buy groceries for the el elderly folks in our neighborhood. Nice. Which was really cool. And Angie signed up and was buying groceries for, for a lady down the street. Yep. And she got to the point where she resented this lady. Oh, really? <laughs> no, no, I was about to say no. because I've helped people that turned really demanding. Oh my goodness! Right. So, so here's the thing: she she has you go to Whole Foods. She's so specific, right? Also, so it was one of those people. Oh my goodness! Okay. Going to Whole Foods to the bakery, asking for a specific loaf of bread, and asking the baker to put a sheet of wax paper between each slice. So that when she freezes it, it's easier for her to pull the slices apart when she pulls it out of the out of the freezer. And and what was so funny is the the other guy that was buying groceries for this lady said that the the baker said, "No, I'm not going to do that." <laughs> <laughs> they wow. did it for they did it for Angie, which was cool, <laughs> right? But Don't she you think though, if you're asking for help, that you would um, tend to be less demanding. You, you know what I mean, you should have more of an attitude of gratefulness yeah. when someone's helping you out. Yeah, you would think. I, I don't know. It was, it's really odd. And it, I mean, she did such like she wanted a real specific weight of like her, her deli meat. And, you know, she wanted X number of grapes. And if Angie had too many grapes, she would say, no, take take those extra two clumps, you know, home with you. <laughs> You wow, it's a little OCD. <laughs> She's a little OCD. Yeah. But yeah, no, I worked out. It was fine. She, Angie really didn't resent her. So this has been a topic of conversation recently in all the, you know, the sports radio that I've been listening to or whatever. Um, but the image and likeness question for the yes. NCAA, how do you, how, where do you, where do you like land when it, it comes to paying, either paying college players or you know, giving them their name and likeness rights yeah, back and that seems sort of thing. like they should have the right to profit off of their name and, and earn money off of their skill set. I think they get paid to, you know, by getting scholarship money, especially at the D one level. Um, but essentially they should own that, right? That I don't think they should have to sign that over the whole idea of amateur sports. I think is kind of going by the wayside anyway. Like even the Olympics allows professional athletes in now. Mm, good point. And so, I mean, if you want the best of the best, they're going to end up getting paid and players are skipping college. Yeah. Art because of that. So that's a good point. too. What, so what's the allure of having somebody play and not get paid to play is that they the, it keeps it more pure because they just love the game or something, I guess. Right. And I think more than that, it's the fact that the colleges and the NCAA make so much money. Yes. So I think that's the reason. <laughs> <laughs> if you had to pay all of these student athletes over and above the scholarship money, um, then you're cutting into to revenue. They could earn money on their own. Although I guess the NCAA is making money off of their likeness. All the TV so deals. That. Yeah, the likeness. Apparently, there's they get a little cut, but it's very minimal. Mm. Um, but I've heard stories of you know people being featured, you know their images on, on like video, video games game. and stuff like that. And they're not getting anything off of that, or not much right. at all. Right. Um, 
But I think it's it's not as simple as let's pay the athletes um, because you do have a situation where the universities have to provide uh, equal accommodations and, you know, they have to have kind of um, um, a certain number of uh, female sports if they have male sports and that sort of scholarships, that type of thing. Right. And so and often those female sports are draining money from the university. They're not money makers. So, so you have, you know, the male athletes who are bringing in revenue for the university that's then providing opportunities for the female athletes. So it's not as simple as, Hey, let's give the guys a cut of what they make. Um, you know, there's just more to it. It, It's like people think it's unfair that like a WNBA professional player makes so much less than an NBA player, but in those cases, it's money in, money out. That's right. And how much money the the league is making or the team is making, they can then use that to pay their players. And that's dependent on TV deals and people going to, into the stands. But then at the collegiate level, I guess, is different because there's a lot of public money supporting those colleges. And there's a kind of a right to uh, equality of opportunities right? because of that. And so... I guess it's handled a little bit differently. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. When it comes to the marketplace, you know, outside of the university systems, then it's kind of whatever the marketplace will support or, right. you know, that that's going to be what ends up being successful ultimately. Right. I, I imagine that, you know, the WNBA, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know the figures. I'd, I'd be curious to find out if, money is funneled from any of the, you know, the guys teams or the male programs that with the NBA to the WNBA to, to keep that thing solvent. Help support it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. it definitely started with seed money. No right. doubt. The NBA helped with that. The, I think that um, in the NCAA tournament, the women's tournament got half of the, roughly half of the money for, you know, setup and promotion and all that stuff as the men's tournament did. Yeah. And I don't know legally how that works, but I know that there are there are some legal considerations with with Title IX like equality. Right. In consideration of name and likeness though, to yeah. me that seems like a no-brainer. Yeah. You know, let the guys if they you're selling their jerseys and it's their name, I mean, give them a cut of that, right? Um, you know, if if you're going to take all of the ticket sales fine, right, to the university, right. You know, that's your stadium. You poured money into that over the years. You built that up. But if you have, uh, you know, Zion Williamson coming in, and his name is bigger than the university at that point. Right. And, and it's, it's his name. It's, and his, it's his name, his, his picture, you know? His yeah. skill. Yeah, I can yeah. imagine that's frustrating. And then you're required, right? One year in college, you're required basketball. for basketball yeah. one year. Two yeah. for uh, NFL? I think two for football or maybe yeah. three because they're just concerned about the physicality of it. Right. But, yeah. That's I mean, more and more players, not in football yet, but in basketball, you know, Lamella ball just skipped college. Oh, you don't have to do any years in. He went and played overseas college mm. for a year and then entered the draft. So the NBA doesn't require any. Mm-mm. No, it's an age thing. It's like one year post high school or something but yeah it it almost is it almost is it's just theft and greed that's preventing those players from profiting not even really good reason for it well so there was one argument i heard that i i thought was interesting and it was that the nba has certain restrictions on how many times a player can be featured in news stories how how many times like in a given period of time you know, like uh, LeBron James can actually have his face on ESPN. Mm. They limit that. And, and college doesn't. And so what this argument stated was that college actually gives players more FaceTime opportunity to then set them up for potential success, um, you know, getting NBA deals. And right. I thought that was interesting. I, I just, I, with a lot of these things, I think there's more to it than the emotional reaction of, Hey, pay the players, you right. know, there, there, there needs to be like 
a, a systematic way to go about it that considers, you know, all of the implications and repercussions. Right. And if you take a significant source of funding away from the schools and the sports tournaments, like you were saying earlier, what's the ripple effect of that on all the other sports, on the educational structure of the university, on tuition fees, Yep, on women's sports? Right. Yeah. And give the university some credit for getting this thing established. Right. Right. This is a, a, a long tradition of collegiate sports in this country. And they weren't as popular as they are now, you know, 70 years ago or whatever. So the universities have built this thing up and now the players are benefiting from that. Right. So there, there needs to be some consideration there. Something you could let them sign a shoe deal. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I think you don't have to strip all the money away from the universities, but find some type of balance. Yeah. A hundred percent. And it's definitely true that we, in the Twitter age, we oversimplify things though. Right. Because pay the players is a nice little thing you can put on a sign or on a hashtag. Yep. I want, we're kind of talking a little bit about current events. The one current event that's been funny to me recently is the Suez Canal situation. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Okay. Did you see... The thing where the they tracked the course, they charted the course that the ship made within the on the Red Sea. Tell me about it. And it drew it drew essentially male uh, genitalia. <laughs> <laughs> and the article I read said, "Yeah, this is just an, an unfortunate coincidence." <laughs> <laughs> oh my like, this god gotta be a joke and then i dug into a little bit i'm like yeah actually it looks like it's legit oh my goodness what what a colossal blunder <laughs> it, and another week maybe oh my gosh i i i was reading that and i'm i've just pulled this up right here that the blockage is holding up to 9.6 billion dollars of goods a day a day oh, was they're saying they're saying that a couple of days it's not that big a deal but you know another week means that they have to start sending ships around the horn of africa right and that's kind of the Suez canal is there for a reason because yeah it's ridiculously inconvenient to be flipping around africa all the way yeah they they have to they have to remove up to seven hundred and six thousand cubic feet of sand to free it is, I saw a picture of like a crane or something like pushing yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I mean, it, it'd be like me. It looked like me trying to move the Empire State Building. Yeah, yeah. It's like you trying to push your house. So, so I, I'm just imagining the captain, right? So, <laughs> I'm going the wrong way, guys, guys. You know, it's like, <laughs> let me turn around. Let me turn around. <laughs> you know, like, what an idiot. <laughs> do they still do like where the captain yells something and then the first officer repeats they it? They all repeat it. Yeah, oh, yeah. man, they're all uh, culpable now. Turn left, turn left. Turn left. Turn left. Yeah. Turning left. Yeah, and was anyone along the line like, turn turn left? Right. You know? <laughs> Like y'all, y'all really want to go left? You see, there's just sand there, right? The Ever Given—that's the name of the ship. Mm. <laughs> uh, so there's also a QAnon conspiracy tied to it that there's children on it. Oh my goodness! Yeah, we'll help spread that. Yeah. That- <laughs> <laughs> see, I don't even know—I don't get those emails, Brian. So. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm inundated with them right now. <laughs> I'm on my uh, Telegram, Gab, whatever. You got your short your shortwave radio. Yeah, exactly. I well, I, I ever since Parlor's been down, I'm I'm not getting that information anymore. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Donald Trump's going to start a social media site. The My Pillow guy is looking at starting a social media site. Oh my goodness! Hey, that's and cool. I think it's fine. Donald's. I don't think there's anything wrong with a little bit of competition in that space. Yeah. Did Are we you, tired of politics? 
Well, I want to the- talk about giant boats wedged sideways. Right. <laughs> I know, that's hilarious. <laughs> Uh, so, so did you on the politics thing though? Did you watch any of uh, the press conference? So it was Biden's first press conference yesterday. I just saw some news this morning. That's why I'm bringing it up. I saw some news this morning too, and it sounded like he was able to take some words and string them together. Oh my goodness! Understandable sentences, which is an upgrade over both the previous administration and the expectations for this administration. So, <laughs> I think it was a win. Touche. All the way around. Well, so, so what struck me is I, I thought to myself as he's talking, like, oh, man, he's old. It's not that he's old because he's what, 78? He's, yeah, he's late 70s. So, late 70s. It's that his ability to communicate isn't as quick as Sister Jean's. You know, right. I mean, he's just like. Right. It's just right. his, his ability, his communication skills are just not, he's not super sharp. Right. That's all it is. You know, right. there's some folks in their seventies and eighties, you know, when I think about our grandma, you know, she was grandmother Stevenson was her nineties. So good, man. She was, right. yeah. And her mental capacities were, were really sharp. Right. So. I think he's trying, Biden is trying to uh, not make any mistakes. I think, earlier in his life he was just kind of more freewheeling and i wonder if that's part of it it's a i think it is age as well but also that he's worried about sticking his foot in his mouth yeah that could be that could be man i just it's it is disappointing in general though that that you know for the last two presidents well you know for for many presidents it's like we can't as a country with with the millions and millions of people we have find, you know, somebody that's really competent and, you know, presentable and, you know, someone we would all be proud of to be the representative of our country. I mean, Barack Obama, I feel like was more of a statesman than, you know, Clinton. So I'm thinking about presidents in my lifetime. Um, You know, maybe Reagan, but I was too young to really uh, experience Reagan, but I feel like he was kind of, you know, polished in a lot of ways being a, you know, an actor. Um, right. but, but even he got to the point in his presidency where he was, you know, having dementia or Alzheimer's older. or something. Right. Yeah. It, it might be like the, the role of the president is more and more being a face than it is being a policy genius. And it helped Trump in a sense, because he was a TV guy. And so he was at least able to put on a show. And his show uh, excited his supporters, at least. So I think that's part of why he was successful. And it's probably what we need. It would just be nice if we had somebody with the charisma and the the camera savviness and also the intelligence. The intelligence. (laughs) Run the country. Yeah. And there's people out there, but I think maybe this goes to another topic that you had mentioned wanting to talk about, which is leadership. And yeah. it seems like politics draws the wrong type of people. People, right. people who are desiring to be in power in a political setting, um, in my opinion, oftentimes seem to want that power for the wrong reasons. Yes. And the process that it takes to get into the position to win an election, the steps that you have to take to get there are it's a different skill set than what it takes to be a statesman or a principal leader. Right. To win a popularity contest um, yeah. doesn't, doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean that you are someone who can then make very important decisions um, that affect the lives of millions of people. Right. Yeah. Those popular people in high school weren't necessarily the best people. That's right. Yeah. It was, it was interesting as Tulsi Gabbard talks about this and something I was listening to recently. And I like her language uh, when she's talking about politics, because she often talks about being um, representing the people. She, yes. and, and I think that that's what politicians need to be considering. But I think it goes again to leadership in that the more and more I learn about leadership, the more I realize that it is a, um, a position of service. Yes. Yeah. And, and in management, the new, the agile development, kind of this way to conduct business in IT, and actually it's 
percolating over into other types of business. The manager is a servant leader. That's like the whole idea is that the manager should be the one that helps you to accomplish your job as an individual and get roadblocks out of the way and do whatever it takes to help you be successful. So, and that's the model of Christianity as well. And a lot of major religions, the leaders, the founders of those religions were humble people. It um, brings to mind Jocko Willenick's book, which is called Extreme Ownership. Mm. And the concept is, the book is based around the concept of taking ownership for situations, especially as a leader. Mm-hmm. So if you're, uh, and I find this happens to me in my workplace when I'm in leadership positions, when things go wrong, many times it's not m- my fault directly that something went wrong. But when I'm in that position of, of leadership, it's still my responsibility to some degree. Right. And it really helps the situation when I step in as a leader and I take ownership of it and, you know, I make the apology and it, it helps both the people that were affected negatively by, you know, the decisions and also the people who made the wrong decisions. When they see me step in and say, hey, I'm sorry that this happened. You know, I could have been a better supervisor and made sure that these things were taken care of before you came in and, and found them awry. Right. You know, it it kind of diffuses the whole situation. And I think it gives it gives the people that are working for me a little more respect for me. They realize like, yeah. oh, he's willing to take the fall. He's willing to got my back. Yeah, he's got my back. Um, yeah. But but I think it goes against human nature in a way because we we don't want to be culpable. Right. We want to be seen in a good light. Yep. And so um, and you two see, year olds will blame. You know, other people, <laughs> the dog or whoever, when something goes wrong. Yeah. When they do something wrong. Right. What, so when you were thinking about leadership, were you thinking about a story that is in, in the book, in your book? I think so, but I honestly, I can't remember it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about your book for a minute because it's exciting. You feel like you're getting to the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, so I've got enough stories written now that I've got enough content. I was trying to get between 30 and 50,000 words. I've got about 40,000 words now. And then I've been going through and like self-editing all of them and just modifying things. Uh, So I read one today about and edited it a little bit that I'll send to you soon about convincing dad to ride a roller coaster. Oh, right, right. So so the, the idea was when dad passed away, he was a great storyteller. His dad and mom are both great storytellers. And there was just a lot of things about his life and memories that I had that it was um, cathartic for me, therapeutic for me to write him down and just to remember him by. And then I thought, well, you know, it's not, there's no reason why I shouldn't publish this. You can self publish things now really easily. And so as I kept compiling them, I thought, yeah, we're, I'm going to, going to do it. And, and so I tried to make a lot of the stories have some type of moral or some type of lesson, um, something about his life or my, our interactions with them that could encourage people. And then at the same time, I've noticed when I deal with people now that have had family members die, I, I have a pool of experience now to draw from. And I've shared a couple of those, these stories with them because there's a few that I wrote right as it was happening. And I kind of kept, I've tried to keep that tone in those stories and it's a little bit raw. And, uh, but I think that's useful. So I'm hoping it kind of helps in all those ways. But if not, I have these memories and I have this legacy that I, I give to my kids and your kids and we can remember granddaddy with them. So yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. I was hoping, I'm still kind of hoping for June timeframe, like around the anniversary of when he died. Uh, but we'll see. We got a lot going on <laughs> right now. Do you have any aspirations for this book to get published or? I, I am thinking of numbers. And so I'm kind of thinking if I can sell a hundred pretty quickly, that I'll be excited and then just go from there. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I like so, setting kind of, what seem to be reasonable benchmarks for yourself. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. Hey, hold on one sec. I got to go to the bathroom. All right. But I wanted, I wanted to wrap it up with a couple other thoughts.
Okay. I'll be right back. Why is it so hard to meditate daily? <laughs> Man. Is Leanne still meditating daily? We totally fell off that. No, she's she's quit doing it. And because I was I I did it a couple of times last week and I posted, I'm like, nobody's posting anymore. And Leanne says, Yeah, I quit doing that. It's not any fun. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean it's not any fun? It's like we can't even spend eight to ten minutes. And I haven't done it. I think that was it's probably been about a week. I was like, I'm gonna finish strong, and then I I dropped right off. And we saw, she saw that when she meditated before she went to bed, she slept better. Like yeah. you could actually see a one-to-one correlation between doing this simple practice and the benefits of it. And we're still having a hard time doing it. Well, I think maybe for the listeners, we had a 30-day challenge where we basically had the whole 30 diet for the month of January. And, you know, we did, all of us did a really good job except you because you didn't do it. I did. I did a pretty good job. And, and I did have some wings on Super Bowl Sunday. So it was like yeah. mid-January through mid-February or something, right? Yeah. yeah. So, and, and so then our next 30-day challenge was going to be meditating. And we went strong for maybe the first week or two. Um, and then we all kind of fell off. And we weren't even setting lofty goals, I don't think. I know. We this- were starting at five or ten minutes and then maybe ramping it up a little bit as the month went along. It's tough. When I meditate, I feel better. I, it really helps my mindset to be better. Just every, you know, if I do it at the beginning of the day for the rest of the day. Yeah. I like it in the morning. That's I yeah. Feel. I mean, because if I don't do it, how often do I just reflect on how grateful I am? Yes. I, I don't, unless I make a point to do that. Yes. Or how often do I just try to be present? Yeah. In, in, in the moment, you know, which I think is, is a really healthy thing to do. Definitely. And actually the talking about dad passing away is what made me do that mental leap to meditating because when I was meditating earlier in, in the month, a lot of times I would find my thoughts going back to him and just being grateful. It's been seven or eight years, nine, how long has it been? However long it's been. And, and still having that attitude of being grateful for the time that we did have and the blessing that we had with him. And then taking that the next step, as you're saying, being grateful for everything that you have now and being, being present and being aware of what's going on around you, you know, like simple things, like when you drink a cup of coffee and you just chug it, you don't really taste it. Uh, and I did one of the meditations talked about that. And so I tried it and I'm like, this is, Amazing coffee, <laughs> coffee in my mouth on my taste buds, <laughs> the warmth of it. And I was just like, it blew my mind. And so, if we could, if we did that around our family and the time that we spend with each other, yeah, we'd just be so much better off. So, so maybe in middle age, I notice how similar I am to dad, right? You know, because that's the memory I have of him in middle age. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so I see the things that I do that are very similar, and one of them is, dude, I can wolf down some food really quickly. <laughs> I can, I can, I can pound some ice cream or you know cereal. I can just dog it, and yeah. I don't even. Angie's like, you didn't even taste it, right? So to your point, it's true, man. Like I can eat things, and the enjoyment I have is the swallowing of it. so i i have tried recently to be more mindful especially like right now i'm i'm counting my calories so right if you know you have a limited amount of food that you're going to eat in a day right every moment that you eat that food you you should be enjoying it yes and it's not like we are either on the one hand starving and we really need the food or uh you know, or on the other hand, that we're, we're we're really active, and so we're trying to get all these calories in, or something like I know um, in the military or in boot camp or whatever. I've heard stories that they get like 15 minutes to eat, and they're trying to get right. 2,000 calories in 15 minutes or something. We're not like that. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. Take, take the time. Take the time. Enjoy it. Dad well, would wolf it down. It is weird to to think about mom and dad at the age that we are now. And looking at them and thinking, because in my mind, they were old. 100%. 
right? I, I the feel like they did were old things. Well, and now that's who I am. I, well, what's interesting is I people do say like 30 is the new 20 and 40 is the new 30. And, you know, right. I think there is some truth to that. And I think part of it is the fact that we do live longer and we are more conscious as a, a society, a culture, a world. We are more conscious of health and right. vitality, you know, into old age. That wasn't a thing, you know. I mean, I think it happened naturally to some degree, you know, when people right. were working on the farm and, and there was a lot more kind of manual labor. Um, but again, I think those things wore the body out as well. Right. And there wasn't the knowledge of the science, the sports science to, to you know, keep you healthy and get a hip replacement. I was talking to a friend who said, because my hip, I have a, a hip that that's a little bit tricky. And, uh-huh. <laughs> and I was talking to a friend. <laughs> I was talking, dude, when it's cold, I could tell it's going to rain outside. No. <laughs> Pop that thing back in. <laughs> but I was talking to a friend who was telling me there's a guy he plays basketball with, with two hip replacements both hips replaced (laughs) two of three no (laughs) both hips replaced and he dunks wow yeah (laughs) oh man that's awesome so to your to your point um i feel like we are younger than our parents at this age you know i wonder when you're talking if some of it has to do with the pace of change as well so we're we are conditioned to more easily adapt to change because things have things have been changing so much through our whole lives. Our kids are even more so exponentially. And whereas our grandparents and our parents, things would hardly ever change. Right. You know, it would be decades between you know getting a car and getting a color television, and then and so then as the pace kept picking up, we would look at them and they're stuck. They're yeah. not able to adapt very yes. quickly. We're a little bit quicker to adapt to things. I was reading a whole thread uh, about this guy whose 90-year-old granddad wanted to get on the internet. And this guy installed, you know, pop-up blockers. Um, he was monitoring all the websites his granddad was going to because he didn't want him to get taken advantage of. Yes. Because that's what's happening. You know, yes. this, this older generation is getting on there and they're they're all suckers. Yeah, <laughs> they are. They don't know how to recognize it. Right. They think that their perfect grandson could have gotten a drunk driving accident. Yes. <laughs> they the... need $500 to bail them out. And what is just mind boggling to me is the hoops that they put these old people through that, right. and they go through them because they're so concerned and they can't imagine, you know, that, that this is anything but reality. Yeah. That's, it's, it's crazy. There was a Mark Robert, you know, Mark Rober, uh, YouTube. Yeah. He yeah. he's done a couple of, um, I think his latest video. We were watching it with the kids, um, and they were basically trying to track down these scam artists who were scamming old people. Right. And they were doing like the glitter bomb package and that sort of thing, and it's right. so rewarding to see these people it get is. caught. <laughs> and it really made me angry when that when grandmother got taken advantage of. Yeah, man. So. It's just so unjust, unjust, unjust. Someone called her up and said, hey, this is your grandson. And I got in a car wreck and I need 500 bucks. And she says, Clay, is that you? (laughs) Supplies a name. And the guy says, yes, this is Clay. And starts (laughs) imitating me and has her go buy like gift cards or or or, uh what was the reason i think it was wire a wire transfer it was a wire transfer yeah i should have go down to the grocery store and do a western union or it was something like that or or maybe it was like the credit cards you can buy um yeah you know mail it and and mail it or give the number or something yeah Yeah, that sounds right yeah Uh, so so she had called uncle judd and then uncle judd you know told her hey that's a scam and but it was too late by then yeah, when they had called back to get more. Oh, okay. And that was when she started. She was, you know, wise enough to to call, and get some counsel. But yeah, that is the joke that she heard the voice and heard somebody in dire straits that had made a horrible decision, and she her first thought was Clay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, the other thing that that brought to mind was. That grandmother died three years ago, right? And 
never experienced the internet. Never really experienced the internet. No idea. How mind-boggling is that? She had the most powerful innovation, maybe in all of humanity. Essentially in the history of man. (laughs) And she didn't, maybe wasn't even interested. I mean, granddaddy wasn't interested and, and he was sharp, you know, like before the strokes kind of slowed him down a little bit, but I can remember talking to him about it and telling him we should get him online so we could do email or early on. And he never, that's uh, too old. I don't want to do it. Sounds, seems very sad to me. (laughs) You know, (laughs) the answers to almost every, any question you could ask (laughs) at your fingertips. No, I'm good. I'm fine. (laughs) (laughs) I know everything I need to know. (laughs) That, that is, it's a whole nother topic about just recall the ability to recall things. Yep. And we'll we'll purposefully now I've I've started doing it, so now Leanne started doing it. Same I here. I won't look something up. Same here. And I'll yeah. make my cuz I know that I know the answer. Yes. So I'll just make myself Yes. figure it out. And then sometimes I'll forget about it and then the next day you know randomly it Kutcher, pop- Ashton Kutcher, that's what the, that's the answer. Ah, <laughs> you know. I do the exact same thing. And then I, I heard this, uh, it must've been a podcast or a book or something about sleep. And they talked about how the different stages of sleep help your, your, you know, one of them helps your memory, you know, one of them helps you process emotional trauma. Um, and, and so, you know, maybe to your point, you go through that sleep cycle, uh, you're able to, to then, you know, catalog some of that, those memories and, you know, pull some of those memories to the forefront that awesome. you needed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I think it's a skill. Re- yeah. Remembering the ability to go into your memory and pull something out is a skill. 100%. If you don't use it, then you're not going to be very good at it. Right. And so then I guess you could make the argument, well, you don't really need to be good at it. Well, that's you true. Can, <laughs> you can just look <laughs> everything up. But I think that as far as staying sharp and staying, you know, mentally, uh, keeping your mental ability as you age, it's probably still a really good practice. I agree with that. But if they had, if they had a computer chip that they could just plug into your head and it would give you all of those memories, right? Would, would you, yeah, you would need it. But anyway, man, so this was good. Yeah. You feel good about this? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, man. All right. All right. Bye.